0: How many of you know what a euphemism is? And and if you do, that's fine. If you don't, a euphemism, it it comes from the Greek word euphemos, but it basically means good speech. So really, the idea is substituting a pleasant word for a not-so-pleasant thing. For example, if you are an employer and you need to fire one of your employees instead of coming right on and saying, you're fired, you can go up to them and say, I'd like to talk to you about a career change opportunity, right? That's a euphemism. If you're looking for, you know, to buy a a used car, you're not going to find those in dealerships, but dealers will sell you a certified pre-owned vehicle, right? Those are euphemisms. We use them all the time and we even use them when we sin, don't we? Instead of coming right out and saying, oh, yeah, I sinned, we say, oh, I slipped up. Oh, yeah, lapse of judgment on my part, my bad. We'll even use it, we'll use a euphemism uh, on a particular sin. People, instead of of people talking about how they lied, people will say how they stretched the truth a little bit. Or instead of, you know, saying that they, admitting that they gossiped, people will say how they, they just shared some knowledge. That's all. Instead of talking about how they had premarital sex, people will talk about hooking up. See how much more pleasant that sounds? Our culture is very good at making something bad seem not so bad. Yet here's the thing, especially with sin, euphemisms can be very dangerous because euphemisms can get you to think that you are not that bad at least not as bad as somebody else, that you don't need God's forgiveness. Well, maybe somebody else does, but I'm, I'm okay. That you don't need Jesus to pay for your sin. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Look at this, in Romans 3, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? It means that when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come to simply help manage some of your mistakes. That he did not come to simply help you unba- unpack some of your baggage now, Jesus came, for all of you here, for all of you watching online, Jesus came to die, to break you free from the grip of sin that threatens to separate you from God forever. And that's what this evening, Ash Wednesday, is all about. We're starting this series called Breaking Sin's Grip. And over the next couple of weeks throughout the season of Lent, we're going to look at different sins, very common sins that we all wrestle with, but sins that we tend to excuse or maybe make sound a lot more pleasant with euphemisms, but can wreak havoc in our walk with Jesus. Now, in this series, we're not going to just look at how important it is to break free from sin's grip, but also how important it is to replace that sin with a trait that honors God. And this is critical, if you get rid of a sin and don't replace that sin with something that on, is honoring and, and glorifying to God, that void is going to still be there and the sin going to zip right back in and it's going to be stronger. It's going to be even more powerful. Jesus teaches this. Look at this, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, when an evil spirit that is attacking you with a sin, if it, when it leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty. There's the void, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. So when a spirit returns and attacks you with a sin again, it's going to have a lot more horsepower than it did before. And that's never good. So when it comes to getting rid of sin, good, but you want to replace that sin with a God honoring quality or trait. And so tonight we're going to look at the sin that holds us in its grip from time to time called pride. And the importance of exchanging that with a God-honoring trait called humility. But before we go there and talk about how to live humble, God-honoring lives, there are a couple of things about pride you need to be aware of. For one thing, pride is behind every other sin. That's why it's the first sin that we're talking about in this series of sins. It is at the root cause of every other sin. You know, sins like laziness and envy and anger and deceit, those are sins we're going to cover in this series. They can all be traced back to this thing called pride. Pride was the very first sin ever committed by anything, by the devil, as referenced in Isaiah 14. Pride was behind the first sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Pride is a horrible, dangerous sin. And the reason why pride is so horrible and dangerous is because pride is an anti-God state of mind. Right? It, is, it is an arrogant, excessive belief in your own ability. It's the idea that glory and honor should come to you and not to God or anyone else for that matter. Right? And here's the other thing. Your pride is in competition with everybody else's pride, which creates this phenomenon called a pecking order. You ever hear of that? It's a natural phenomenon. If you take 10 chickens, put them in a coop and add a little bit of feed, it's it's gonna be interesting what happens next. You'll see them develop a hierarchy, they will. Through skirmishes and, 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 and scuffles and a lot of pecking, you will quickly identify the number one chicken, the number two chicken, all the way down to the number 10 chicken. As human beings, we are no different. Okay, pecking orders exist everywhere, from how we greet people to how we label people, to who gets invited to what social function and who's left off the list and ignored, to where offices are located, to where you sit on an airplane, right? If you've been on an airplane, you know what I'm talking about. Pecking orders are everywhere. And here's the thing about pecking orders. They have the capacity to tempt you to see other people as being either more important than you or less important than you and based on that information you're either going to honor someone with your time and your attention or you're going to just ignore and dismiss them and it happens because that's what pride does pride is a sin of superiority right pride is what is where you put yourself above everyone else everything else pride is what keeps you from saying i'm sorry in a fight pride is what gets you to think <laughs> I'm better than that person. I'm more important than that person. Pride is what urges you to get all the attention. Look at me, look at me. And provokes you to belittle others, loser. Pride is an in-your-face attitude of the soul. And no one, but no one is immune from it. Seriously, if you are blessed with, you know, with talents or knowledge or, or wealth or success, you will be the target of pride, you will. It's just a matter of time. And in fact, that's why Romans 12 offers this warning. It says, um, oops, that's not it, I went too far. Forget it, go back, I'll go back. Pride gets you to be puffed up about yourself and, and your achievements and your possessions and it is an awful thing. Pride is an awful thing. And when you read about pride in the Bible, it becomes crystal clear what the Bible says about pride, and that's what I just showed. I ruined it. Pride is despised by God. It is disgusting to God. God detests pride. In, in Proverbs 6, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Number one thing on the list, haughty eyes. It's another way of saying pride. Or in, in Isaiah 13, God says, I will crush the arrogance of the proud and humble the pride of the mighty. God dislikes pride. Actually, he comes right out and he says in Proverbs 8, I hate pride and arrogance. So first, pride is a terrible sin and it is behind every other sin. You need to be aware of that. Second thing about pride you should know is that pride needs to be acknowledged. If you're gonna have any chance of breaking free from the grip of pride in your life through the power of the cross, you need to admit the fact that you struggle with it, which means you gotta stop blaming other people. Or being proud of the fact that you're not as proud as these people over here. You, just, you, you admit the fact, you acknowledge the fact that you got a problem with pride. And here's the thing, as, as long as pride has you in its grip, it will create pain for you and the people around you. And the Bible talks about that as well. The Bible says uh, one end result of pride here in Proverbs 11. Pride leads to, what's the next word? Yeah, Disgrace. Pride can result in disgrace, and maybe you've seen that happen. Maybe you know of somebody who was so proud that they disgraced their teammates or their friends or their coworkers. Here's another end result of pride. Proverbs 13 says that pride leads to, what's the next word? Say it. Conflict. Yeah, pride can result in conflict. If you are in an argument, pride is going to make you want to dig in your heels and not budge. I'm not giving up, I'm not, I'm not backing down. And pride is behind a lot of marital conflict. It leads to fights and it, heartbreak and pain and divorce. Here's another thing about an end, another end result of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before what? Say it, destruction. Pride can result in destruction. When it has you in its grip and you do not do anything about that pride, it could be catastrophic. Now, I realize that pride can start off being something good, right? There is, to a certain degree, it's okay to have pride of of your life or an achievement or of a family member, but you want to be careful. You got to be really careful there because if if it goes unchecked, it's going to quickly spin out of control. Fourth end result of pride, Proverbs 29. Pride ends in what? Say it. Humiliation, yeah, pride can result in humiliation. If it has you in its grip, right, if it is in control, it never ends well. It leads to embarrassment and shame. So you can see how awful pride is, right? It is a terrible sin. And my guess is that none of you sitting here, none of you watching online right now, none of you wants to be actively involved in something that God despises, right? Or that, as we just learned, can, can lead to uh, disgrace, conflict, destruction, and humiliation, right? None of you wants that. No, you, you, you want to live a humble life. You want to be able to live a life of humility that honors God. And that's great. And by the Spirit's power, you can do that. But like I shared with you about pride, there are some things you also need to understand about humility, and what it means. For example, humility means seeing yourself accurately. And what does that mean? It means, it means facing the, the, the truth about the, your imperfections and sins and the fact that you, like everyone else, have an inclination toward pride. You do. If you are a human being and you're breathing oxygen right now, you have a predisposition to want to be proud. You just do. It's how you're wired because of sin. And so, this is the warning I was, I was going to share with you, but this is from Romans 12. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So humility means seeing yourself accurately. In other words, that you are a struggler with this thing called pride. Second, humility means not needing to pretend. When you live a life of humility, true humility, you don't need to wear a mask, right? You don't need to be something you're not. Humility means knowing that you aren't going to be good at everything, and you know what? You're okay with that. Third, humility means knowing you're flawed but prized. It means, yes, it's this honest recognition that you are deeply flawed by sin, but you are highly prized in the eyes of God. It's it's understanding that the only way for you to break free from the grip of sin, in this case, pride, is through the cross of Jesus Christ it's humbly admitting to god your pride or whatever sin it is and then trusting that because of what jesus accomplished on the cross god is going to offer you love grace and forgiveness first john 1 verse 9 let's all read this together you ready very familiar words if we confess our sins god is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness sorry it was way too short That's a wonderful verse. Let me go back. That is an amazing verse, isn't it? You are so precious. You are so valuable in the eyes of God that God, who's in heaven, right, because he's God, and he's receiving all honor and glory. He's coming to him from the angels. They're just praising him nonstop. It's just what he deserves. You are so precious, so valuable to God that God was willing to set that glory and honor you're receiving aside So that he could humble himself, become one of us, one of his own creations, a human being, and come to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And then to suffer the most humiliating way any human could die, and that's through crucifixion. But he did it for you. For you. Colossians 2. Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So even though he was completely innocent, Jesus took your sin, my sin, upon his cross, including the sin of pride. And and because he was your substitute, when you trust in him, God offers you forgiveness and eternal life, just like he offers it to anyone else. I mean, seriously, anyone who believes or trusts that Jesus is their personal savior. And where I'm going with this is this. True humility means recognizing that you do not have what it takes to get into heaven to save yourself. You need somebody else who can do it for you, somebody who can break the chains for you. And, of course, that someone is Jesus. That's humility. That's what it means. But along with telling you what humility means, it's also important to share with you what humility is not, because people mess this up all the time. For example, humility is not self-contempt. Humility is not where you, you know, um, you, know you, you beat yourself up and, and you deflect well-deserved compliments from other people. Humility is not putting yourself down and saying, oh, I'm a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad person. That's not humility, right? That's not humility. Humility is not self-contempt. Second, humility is not weakness. Living a humble life does not indicate a lack of strength. Actually, I would argue just the opposite is true. In John 13, Jesus celebrates the last Passover with his disciples where he institutes what we know to be Holy Communion. But before he does that, he demonstrates a deep act of humility. What does he do? Tell me. Washes his disciples' feet. Gets down on his hands and his knees, takes a towel and he washes their feet. To me, that is not weakness. Third, humility is not gained by seeking it. Actually... The more that you pursue it, the more that it's going to elude you. You know, because it's, you know, the more obsessed you become with being humble, the more you're focused on yourself trying to be humble, and that's exactly the opposite thing that you want to do. Right? You can't be humble and think about how humble you're being. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you want to throw yourself away and turn your focus instead to someone else. Bottom line is that to break free from the grip of pride, it's possible, and it's possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. And get this, the Holy Spirit will help you and empower you to live that life of humility that that honors God and blesses others. And in the time that I got left, let me just share with you some practical suggestions to help you live a life of God-honoring humility. Suggestion number one, look upward. Look upward to God. Focus your attention there whenever you are able to acknowledge the fact that god is vastly superior than yourself when you submit to his ultimate lordship when you are enthralled and stand in awe of who god is and what he has done not only will that make you more humble but it will also help you to quickly realize just how foolish it is for you to strut around about about anything Now, to help you look upward, because that's not just something you're going to automatically do. It's not a reflex reaction. Here's a tip. I'm going to offer two tips. Tip number one is this. Take time to admire God. Take some time to admire his handiwork. Maybe it's the sunrise or the sunset. I don't know if you saw the sunset tonight. Beautiful. Maybe it's seeing a little baby. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But that's where humility begins. It begins by giving glory to God. In the book of Job, at the end of the book, after Job spends a lot of time questioning God's wisdom and whether he's there and in control, God shares um, some some verses about his, his majesty and the scope of his creation with Job. He kind of gives Job a rebuttal and asks Job some questions. It's kind of like, okay, Job, now my turn. So, for example, in Job 38, God says, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or later on in Job 38, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? And where does darkness reside? Tell me, Job, huh? Can you tell me that? I'm adding that part there. Job 39, God goes on. He says, do you give the horse his strength Does the eagle soar at your command? And on and on, God goes to the point where Job says, okay, uncle, I give up. And humbly, he states in 42, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So where am I going with that? Next time you feel like you're in the grip of pride, look upward, right, and take time to admire God. It could be five minutes a day, doesn't matter. Just take some time to admire God's handiwork. Maybe you take a walk through the metro parks. I don't know. But, but take time to admire God and let that knowledge fill your heart and, and, and your mind so that when God does use you to accomplish something good, you can enjoy it and appreciate it and celebrate the God who used you to bless others through it or just blessed you through it. So look upward. Practical suggestion number two, look outward. If you are serious about living a life of God-honoring humility... Focus on the people around you. There's a lot of them. Focus on people who are in need and look for ways to serve them with acts of kindness. Hidden acts of kindness. There's a difference. Hidden acts of kindness are not known by anyone else. Okay, but be careful there when you do an act of hidden kindness, because the temptation is for you to go to somebody. Did you see what I did there? How humble of me. <laughs> Nobody else knew that, but now you do. So it's just you got to be careful. So when it comes to looking outward, let me give you tip number two. Spend time with humble people. Spend time with people who help and give without being asked to help or give. Spend time with people who serve and listen without being asked to serve and listen. When you spend time with these people, and you'll know them, you'll see them, okay? you'll recognize them. When you spend time with them, they'll rub off on you to the point where you spend time listening and encouraging and serving and enjoying the achievements of others without feeling like you have to say, well, what about me? I know pride is hard. It is a dickens of a sin. But when it has you in its grip, please note, it can be broken through the power of the cross. The power of the cross has broken every sin and and it can break it in your life When you go to God in humble confession, when you trust that he will be faithful and just like we just read, When, when you believe that he will pour out his grace and power in your life, and when you trust that he will give you his Holy Spirit to put you back on the right path again, to equip you and empower you to live a life of humility that honors him and blesses others. So let me challenge you in a couple of ways. All right. First, let me challenge you to admit the existence of pride and its results in your life. We all wrestle with pride, so acknowledge that and remember God despises it. Plus, those other things that we talked about. Remember, it also leads to disgrace and conflict and destruction and humiliation. Second, read Psalm 104 and use it to help you glorify God. We did not cover Psalm 104, but I thought instead of having you read Job 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, I thought I'll just give you one chapter of the Bible. Psalm 104 does the same thing, gets you to look upward and focus on God's majesty and and his glory. Third, hang out with people who demonstrate humility. Okay, this is going to help you look outward. If you want to get rid of the, if you want to break free from the grip of pride, and if you want to um, live a a God-honoring life of humility, hang out with people who have a servant's heart. And let their heart shape your heart and life too. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, you are certainly very clear about how you feel about pride. So on this Ash Wednesday, we pray that you would enable us to not think about how pride should apply to the person sitting next to us, or somebody else that we know, but how it applies to us a lot. Father, lead us to humbly confess our pride to you and to trust that through the cross of your son, the grip of that sin and any other sin is broken. And then, Father, by your Spirit's power, empower us to live lives of humility that will honor you and be a blessing to those around us. Father, thank you for this series. Bless it. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Thanks for taking the time to learn a little bit more about Royal Redeemer. We want you to be a part of our Royal Redeemer family here. May God richly bless you and guide you. And I truly look forward to seeing you soon.